So I love how that video uh, ends with the words of the Apostle Paul, the one who loves fulfills the law. And then what did Jesus teach about the law? He summed the entire Old Testament up with two statements. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and, and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love your neighbor. If you figure those out, you've got it. You've got the essence of what it means to follow God. You've got the essence of what all of those hundreds of laws in the Old Testament are all about, like 613 of them. Love God, love your neighbor. That is bedrock Christianity. And, And wow, have we ever been inundated with videos gone viral that demonstrate that we just need to chill a bit and respond with love a lot more? Whatever you think of the Gillette toxic masculinity video or the Covington High School student Nick Saunders standing face to face uh, to Aboriginal elder Nathan Phillips or or the video that went right across uh, Canada involving one Métis and two native Fort McMurray mining hockey guys doing an indigenous dance uh, to music by the First Nations band, uh, a tribe called Red, celebrating their win. I mean, wherever you stand on all of those viral videos, we could use a little love. What does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? Hey, we got two significant elections coming up this year and it looks like it's gonna be absolutely brutal on social media. Can we remember that all people are made in the image of God and are deeply loved by God? All people matter whether you agree with them or not. Let's figure out how to represent our views in ways that are loving and honors God. Hey, they'll know we're Christians by our love, right? Yeah, let, let's figure out how to, how to show that love. It, it doesn't mean you let someone else steamroller over you, but it does impact how you respond to them. So with all of that as a, a background and with that video about all the law and prophets being summed up by the word love, let, let's look at the whole idea of laws and rules in the Bible. Because when you read some of them, love is not what they feel like. Onerous demanding, sometimes unreasonable, maybe even nonsensical. Now, if you've been to a starting point small group here at Fort City, and there are about 30 of you who have, session four has a talk that Andy Stanley gives on rules. And when I first heard that talk, I I found it personally helpful how he was able to link uh, how even the Old Testament law is given in the context of loving relationships and not simply some ornery Old Testament version of God who so often seems so scary and unreasonable. I mean, it makes sense that the God of the Old Testament is the same God in the New Testament. God didn't suddenly turn on the attribute of love come the New Testament. But if you're not careful, it can feel that way. So I want to take some of what Andy Stanley said in that talk, present it here, and get us to really think about why God gives laws and rules and what it really means for us. At the same time, um, uh, I gave you that video from a group called The Gospel Project that I think is a good, simple overview of the connection between the Old Testament law and what we see in the New Testament. And I know... Law, talking about this kind of stuff sounds a bit heavy, but hang in. Uh, I think this talk is going to be helpful for many as we read the Bible and just figure out what it means to follow Jesus. Here's the thing about religion, really any religion. They all got these pesky rules, right? And they've got a rule maker. And the rule maker is not you or me, is it? I mean, I suppose we could invent our own religion with our own rules, and there are guys that seem to get away with doing that, but... If that's all we did, if each and I did our own thing, what would we have? Nothing. So rules. 
In Islam, you got the five pillars. Christians and Jews have the Ten Commandments, and Christians have the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Sikhism has a long list of things you're supposed to do. Uh, Buddhists have principles. Everyone's got a list. <coughs> Excuse me. As a kid, I was raised a Roman Catholic, went to a Catholic school. I was seven years of age. It was the summer after grade one, and Margaret Black, that's the girl down the street, uh, whose father was the local Baptist pastor. Well, Margaret and I decided that we were a thing, a couple. I mean, we were watching something called Archie cartoons, which are all about Riverdale High. I'm sure some of you know them on TV. And becoming a couple seemed to be the thing to do. So grown up. We even, do I admit this, kissed in the bushes to seal the deal. Now, I'm not sure that we understood what the deal was or what we were doing, but it was a quick kiss in the bushes to make it official. Sadly, Margaret came to me and said we would have to break up. You see, Baptists have a rule that we Catholics didn't have, and I was clueless. I, I mean, I was dumbfounded when she said, and this is a seven-year-old talking, although she is a pastor's kid. She said, I'm sorry, but you and I are unequally yoked. We'll have to break up. I didn't have a clue what unequally yoked meant. Some of you don't either. She explained what it means, basically, that because I was Catholic and she was Baptist, the Bible said we couldn't be friends. That's the rule. So for the next two years, while we lived on the same street, I, I was never able to speak to Margaret. In fact, I have never spoken to Margaret since that fateful day in the summer after grade one. And, and with all due respect to many of you who come from Baptist backgrounds here, I think Margaret and her dad are the reason I, I never joined a Baptist church. I mean, I was in all sorts of churches that were like Baptist, close to Baptist, but just not Baptist in name. And I don't know, maybe I had an ism. And, and truth be told, I think Margaret's dad was brilliant. I mean, imagine his reaction when his seven-year-old daughter told him she kissed a Catholic boy in the bushes, an Irish Catholic boy at that, just back in the day, no. At seven, age, at seven years of age, I mean, what would you do as a dad? I mean, he just quickly moved into daughter protection mode, I'm sure. Uh, I mean, you dads out there, if, you're, if some seven-year-old guy kissed your seven-year-old daughter, what would you do? Okay. That's when I first realized that different churches had different rules. <clears throat> when I was seven, it's not true now, but back in the day, because I was Catholic, I could not eat meat on Fridays. That was the rule. Instead, on Fridays, we ordered in fish and chips wrapped in a newspaper as greasy as all get out, along with incredibly creamy coleslaw. I just wanted to sit there so you could enjoy it. And uh, every Friday, without fail, Dad and I would go get fish and chips for dinner because that was the rule, and that was awesome, and I love that rule. Okay, rules and religion, how does it work? And more specifically, how do rules and the Christian faith, how do they work? And this is where I found session four and the starting point really helpful. While starting point lists three categories for rules, I'm just gonna work with two. Let's just keep it simple. So on one hand, there's what they call or what we'll call the family model of rules. And then there's the club model. The family model is you're born into family. You, you have parents or somehow, whatever your story, you start life in some sort of family unit. And right from the get-go, your parents started making the rules or whoever took on the parental role in your life. Now, here's what you need to understand with the family model. 
Your parents did not make the rules so that you would qualify to be a member of the family. You are already a member of the family, and as you grew up, your parents established rules. And as a kid growing up in the home, you had to follow the rules, right? I mean, you kept doing that until you were old enough to leave home, and then you didn't have to follow mom and dad's rules anymore. You may have tried uh, to fight the rules growing up. I certainly did. But then there were consequences that led to you to comply with the rules. Now, rules in your home, did they apply to the kids down the street or in the other condo unit? I mean, I, I really wanted to put some kids on our street on one extended timeout, right? But you can't do that. I mean, my rules didn't apply to the kid down the street. At the best, all I could do is say, hey, when you're in this house, you have to behave this way or you're out. Beyond that, there was little I could do. And then, of course, my kids would continually remind me that some of the rules we had, like curfews and what they got to watch on TV, things like that, their friends didn't have those rules. And I would simply say, too bad, so sad. In this house, this is how it goes. Rules don't make you a part of the family. The rules are because you are in the family. Does that make sense? The second model is the club model. In this model, you agree to keep a certain number of rules in order to join and continue to be a member of the club. So when you join, you are given this document that you have to sign, almost a contract. You read it, and if you agree, you sign it, and once you sign it, then continue to keep the rules you're in. But if you break the rules, <coughs> excuse me, you are out. I think the first club I joined that actually required that I sign, sorry, <coughs> sign a document agreeing to a set of rules was when I was a student at the main downtown campus at the University of Toronto. It's located right by the Ontario uh, Legislative Assembly, if any of you are familiar with Toronto. And underneath, there's a student activity center there. It's a really beautiful old building. It's called Hard House. Underneath that beautiful old building, uh, there were for decades upon decades an indoor rifle range and a handgun range. And I'm sure it's of no surprise to most of you who hang out here that, you, that the U of T Gun Club was one of the first clubs I joined on campus. And I had to sign a long document about how I would behave at the range and the rules that I would follow and how I would sign a rifle or a handgun in or out because they had supplied them. And, and there were no three strikes and you're out, just one strike and you're done. Sadly, about 10 years ago, a new university vice president was shocked to find out there were guns on campus and in the name of political correctness, I shut it down. But a side note. Both the University of Calgary and the University of Alberta uh, have gun clubs, but they bypass the fear factor of guns on campus by using off-campus ranges. Just thought you should know that when you're helping your child decide what university to go to. Now here in Fort McMurray, no surprise, but I'm a member of the Fort McMurray Fish and Game Association. They have one sweet range uh, south of the city, and there as well I signed a bunch of rules that I agreed in order to be a member. So a club works a little differently than a family. You get the rules first before you can become part of the club. You agree to the rules in order to have a relationship with the club and the rest of the club members. But in a family, you're part of the family before you even know what the rules are. And you're a part of the family whether you keep those rules or not. 
So the family model of rules and the club model of rules, they are quite different. At the start of the service this morning, uh, our opening video was all about the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are one of the oldest sets of laws ever given in world history. I think historians would say they are the third oldest sets of laws that we know of, and certainly they are the best known. Christians, Jews, Islamic people all respect the Ten Commandments. All of us uh, believe from these three religious groups that the Ten Commandments were given to us by a guy by the name of Moses. Historians date that to about uh, 1446 B.C. And by the way, a little bit of trivia here, but the name Moses appears in the Quran more than any other name. Now, I know you've heard them, Lucas mentioned them, but I'm going to ask you a question. I'm not going to test you on this, but I'd just be intrigued. Um, how many of them do you know? Um, how many of you would say you could recite all ten of them if we were to ask? Do we have any takers? Oh, we did it in the last service. Come on, there's got to be someone. All right. Okay, let's move it down. Let's make it a little easier. How many of you could do five? Oh, we're doing a little better here. In fact, I'll tell you this. You're doing better than the other service, all right? And uh, how about two? All right. You're almost as bad as the last service. And uh, I'm thinking you've got to know two, maybe. You know, like, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not murder, right? And People are somewhat okay with the adultery one, right? As, as long as it doesn't touch their sexuality any further, you know what I mean? Uh, most people want their spouse to be sexually faithful to them, at least the other person, right? By the way, in February, just in time for Valentine's Day, we, we have a new message series called Swipe Right, where we're going to jump into the tense and tangled world of sexuality and don't get up tight. You might be surprised that it's actually helpful. That's in February. Now, the Ten Commandments are found in two places in the Old Testament, and, and we'll just keep our focus on one, Exodus 20. Exodus is the book all about the time in the history of Israel when they were in slavery in Egypt, and they just made this miraculous exit from Egypt under the leadership of, of Moses. So exit, Exodus, you kind of put it together that way. So for over 400 years, they have been slaves in Egypt. Now they are a free nation out on their own. They are camped by Mount Sinai, and as the Bible tells it, Moses goes up this mountain, and God gives this nation its first set of laws. And this is where we get the Ten Commandments. And what I want to do today is not so much look at ten individual commandments, but the introduction to these commandments that God gives Moses before he gives the ten. It's found in the first two verses of Exodus 20. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. In fact, why don't we read this together? Let's read this out loud together. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So God is uh, speaking uh, to the people of Israel saying, Hey, remember, I'm your God. You're my people. So before God gives any laws, he's saying, Hey, we're family. I'm your God. I'm your father, you're my people, we're family. The point is, they were already a part of God's family before these laws came, and God is saying, I am the God who miraculously brought you out of Egypt, delivered you from being slaves. I am the Lord your God who has done something for you, and really up to this point, you have done nothing in return. 
I am the Lord your God who sent a deliverer to you. And in your darkest moment, when you had given up all hope, when nobody expected, when you, you, you didn't think I was around and that I cared, I sent a deliverer who took you out of Egypt and set you free from slavery. I have done something miraculous and spectacular for you, and you have done nothing for me. And quite frankly, I mean, Israel doesn't know what they're supposed to do because God has not yet clearly outlined the rules. There is no clarity to the law yet. What they know and what Moses kept saying to them when they were in Egypt is, you are God's people and God wants you to trust him, so just trust God. The only thing they knew was they were to trust God and that's a great place to start for all of us. Just trust God, trust him. And then we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when I had that beautiful picture of three deer hanging in the winter woods. What what did I talk about that Sunday? Blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And we talked about what Moses asked the people of Israel to do on the last night they were slaves in Egypt. He, He said, trust me. More importantly, trust God. And here's what the God is asking us to do tonight. And The people go, oh, I don't know if it's going to make a difference. We've been here like 400 years, Moses. Moses says again, trust, here's what we're going to do. And that night, most of the Jewish people had a special meal and they slaughtered a lamb and they took the blood of the lamb and they put it over their doors and they put it down the sides of their doors. And and then they packed up all of their belongings because they were told that they would be leaving the next day. And they're going, really? Come on, Moses. We have lamb for supper and paint our doors with lamb's blood and we're going to be set free in the morning. And Moses just continues, trust me on this. Really trust God on this. And that night, the angel of death went to all of the land of Egypt, striking down the firstborn of both people and animals. And it passed over every house where the blood of the lamb was over the door. And the next morning, Pharaoh goes, go, get out of here, go now, go quick. And this is what I find as uh, particularly significant here. From that moment on, the Jewish people would celebrate the the festival of Passover to remember. To remember, to to remember not the Ten Commandments, not the law of God, but to remember this night when God whispered to the nation, trust me, just trust me, and you'll find your deliverance from slavery in Egypt. That's three weeks later. They're camped at the foot of Mount Sinai. And now God's going to give them some laws, some rules to live by, but God doesn't want them to forget the most important thing. What's the most important thing? I am the Lord your God. You are my people. I am the one who so loves you that I have delivered you from slavery. Got that? Understand that? We're family. I'm your heavenly father. Sound at all like what Jesus did for us? Now continues God. There there are some things we need to do in order to learn how to live together and as I help you to live with each other. And then God gives the first commandment. And the first commandment, it's not a thou shalt not. No, this is pretty significant. The first commandment is, you shall. You shall have no other gods before me. And the people of Israel are going, well, yeah, of course, there's, that's a no-brainer. I mean, God, you, you just delivered us from slavery. You've given us a hope and a future, not just for us, but our, for our kids, our grandkids, our great-grandkids, and on and on. Of course, we wouldn't have any other gods before you. Hey, we got this one. I mean, who can compete with a God who wrecked the economy of Egypt, embarrassed Pharaoh, delivered us from slavery? God, we're yours. We got this. Praise God. And then they struggled to do that the rest of their existence. 
Here's what we need to understand about the Ten Commandments. This might just totally change how you understand rules and laws in the Bible, okay? You with me? The Ten Commandments were not a set of conditions put on their relationship with God. Keeping the Ten Commandments were not a way to earn God's love. The thing to understand is that the Ten Commandments were given as a confirmation of their relationship with God. You've got to understand this. God is not saying, I'm going to give you these ten things to do, and if you do these ten things, then you get to be my people. And if you mess out, you know, if you mess up five of them, oh, we'll see. Maybe you should just keep eight, okay? You've got to understand this. God does not give us laws and rules as a condition for us being part of his family. It just doesn't work that way. It's because we're already a part of his family that he wants us to understand that if we trust him, if we follow him, if we do these things, our lives will flourish. Our lives will be stronger, happier, full of joy. These Ten Commandments are are simply instructions from the God who created us, the the God who loves us, the, the God who should know because he made us instructions about how we can live life to the full. You know, The Bible, with all of its principles and rules and commands, is really kind of like an owner's manual of a car or truck. It shows you what what you need to do to live well, to operate well. Just like your truck manual helps you to keep your truck going a long time. Sort of similar, not exactly, but you get the idea. Now, if you read the first two books of the Bible, Genesis and Exodus, they're they're easy to read, action-oriented stories, so most of us you know, find it kind of fun to read those two books. But then we hit Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and some of us just ground to a halt. It's just filled with stuff and rules that boggle the mind. Like, you read some of the rules in Leviticus 18 and 19, and you go, what? Some of it makes sense, but what do you do with rules like, do not plant your field with two kinds of seed? Well, I don't have any field, so I'm good there. Do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of materials. And yeah, I'm I'm in trouble on this one. Do not put tattoo marks on on yourselves. Well, a lot of you are in trouble. I'm not, okay? Although, I did pick an idea out that I thought would be a cool tattoo. Kind of a combination of the browning buck and the Celtic cross put together. I have had a drawing for it. I just can't find it right now. And actually, it doesn't matter because my wife says no. She says I'm too old. And it's actually okay that she has a couple of subtle tattoos. But she would disown me if she went out in public with the browning buck boy with a cross. Even though there might be a cross there, the cross would make it okay, right? No, go figure. So to give you a bit of a clue what's going on, it comes out of this statement by God. Be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. You see, God is holy. We are not. Uh, Our sin separates us from a holy God. Hold on to that thought, particularly as we continue. Um, There's just a bunch of things going on in the Old Testament that do with all of this, some of which transfer to the New Testament to you and me, and many do not. You see, there are a ton of ceremonial laws, ordinances related to the sacrificial system that Jesus fulfilled to satisfy a holy God when he died on the cross. And there are a few other rules as well that get to stay in the Old Testament. These laws picture the holiness of God and the destructiveness of sin in our lives. And and they also demonstrate that it's just impossible to follow all the laws. 
I don't have time to unpack all of this, but yeah, your tattoos, no matter what your mom or dad may have said, actually, they're okay. Okay? Uh, they are not even a full Old Testament prohibition. They're really only a prohibition when it relates to some uh, Old Testament satanic stuff that was going on in worship. So how do you know if a command is for today or not? Well, it's whether it's also found in the New Testament. If the rule, command, or principle is repeated in the New Testament, that means it's something really important that we would embrace this rule, that it's for our good. If it's not repeated in the New Testament, it just stays in the Old Testament. Got that? It's real important to understand this as you read the Old Testament. So what's really happening with all of these rules and principles that for us today, really what they are is they're kind of like what you do as a parent. I mean, why do you have rules in your home? so that everybody can live well together and for the protection and the flourishing of, of the kids, right? It's, it's for their good. And, and that's really what God is doing for us. It's for our good. It's for our flourishing. So, it's so that we can live well, so that our lives would flourish, so that we would experience life to the full. So essentially, this is what we can say, is that with God, relationship precedes rules. And you see this in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Relationship precedes rules. God has chosen the family model over the club model. Sure, in the Old Testament, God as a parent disciplined Israel for abandoning the rules. Uh, he disciplined because he loved them and wanted the best for them. If they would just embrace the rules, they would embrace life. They would experience life to the full. The rules, the principles, the laws... They're not to restrict, but to liberate us to fully enjoy life the way God designed it to be. And that's true today. You choose to follow Jesus and become a part of his family. You can become a part of God's family before you allow, uh, or before you follow all those rules and principles and laws. Sure, part of the process is recognizing that You've not done a great job of following these kinds of rules. You confess your sin and you ask God to forgive you. But you do not have to be a rule keeper before you come to Jesus. And the fact is, even after you've come to Jesus, you'll never get them all right. And after you've come to Jesus, even when you blow it, even maybe when you choose to abandon the ways of God altogether, he does not abandon you. You're family. You're his child. But when you... Abandon God's ways, life can get real messy. Just living in this sin-wrecked world can be messy. Bad stuff happens, and you know, it's often my fault, often my sinful fault, but sometimes it's totally beyond my control. Whatever. God stays with you. He wants to help you change. He wants to empower you to live better. He wants to help you navigate through the mess. He wants the best for you. He is your Father, your Heavenly Father. Listen to these words of the Apostle Paul. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Why did he give his life for us? To forgive our sins so that we could become children of God, family. So not even our sin can separate us from the love of God because God our Father has made a way for us to have lives cleansed from sin so that we could be children of a perfectly holy and loving God. You know, what we can't do for ourselves, God does for us. So are you a part of God's family? 
I mean, that's a critical question. Are you a part of God's family? You see, that's a choice you make. You become a part of his family by asking Jesus to forgive your sins, your transgressions of God's laws, principles, and rules, and by inviting you to come into your life through the Holy Spirit. And by the way, you kind of confirm that decision. That's what baptism's all about. And then you get into his book, The Bible, right? And a lot of what the Bible does is it teaches us how to live well, how to flourish, how families that flourish work, how healthy relationships work, even how we use our money and our resources. Uh, But it's really all about a God who's just crazy in love with us. And then like Israel in the Old Testament that has a mission, God has a mission for us. He wants to use us to be light to people who are not yet part of the family. He wants to use us to help more people become a part of his family, to experience his love and his transforming power. I mean, aren't you glad that God operates on the family model and not the club model? And that in the end, it's really all about love. The one who love fulfills the law. Rules matter, and they lead to life and life to the full. But even so, relationship precedes rules. It's all about having a personal relationship with Jesus where you become a child of God. Family. So I'm going to pray. And as I pray, I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer in your own way. First, I'll pray in a way that you can become a part of God's family, God's forever family. And then I'll just pray for all of us that God will help us to live well as we embrace his, uh, his way. So let's pray, and if you feel led, just pray along in your own heart with me. Father God, as I call you Father, I'm asking you to make me a part of your family. What would you say to that? Would you choose him today? Would you say... I'm asking you, God, to make me a part of your family. I recognize I don't always live up to your ways. Uh, Too often I choose my own way, and I ask for your forgiveness. And I ask you to come into into my life by your Spirit. Help me to live according to your ways, to become more and more like Jesus, to love, to be a person who loves well like Jesus in my home, where I work, wherever I am. Thank you that as a member of your family, you will never reject me. In Jesus' name. And Lord Jesus, I pray for all of us that you would fill us anew with your Holy Spirit and empower us to live and love more and more like you. Follow your ways, your rules, your principles. Lead us into a deeper experience of life, life to the full. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.